All right. Hi, guys. I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here with part two of the Michael Williams case. Or death and alligators or... What did we call it? I don't remember what I what I called it. You said it was something with duck hunting, something like death that. and alley. I don't know. So if you haven't listened to part one of this episode, I recommend that you go back and listen to part one. You could probably still figure out what's going on just listening to part two, but it'll be more difficult for sure. Do you want to recap, Maddie? Nope. Okay. So to recap, Mike Williams goes missing from an early morning hunt, duck hunt, that he's doing at Lake Seminole. His boat is found floating the following morning, but Mike is nowhere to be found. Six months later, his waders, a flashlight, and his jacket were found floating in the lake, along with Mike's hunting license that's in the pocket of the jacket. After which, his wife Denise is able to have him legally declared dead and is able to collect on his life insurance policy. At the end of part one, Mike's mom Cheryl had found out that her son had been declared dead. And she decides to read the petition that was submitted in order to have her son declared dead. Now, after reading the petition, she had some concerns about some of the information. First off, she didn't think that Mike had gone hunting by himself that day. Initially, when she had been over to Mike and Denise's house the day before he went hunting, Mike had said that he was going hunting with his friend Brian. But when she found out that he had been alone, she thought that authorities were actually mistaken, the searchers who were out there. And when she asked Denise about it, Denise told her that Brian had canceled last minute. But Mike decided to go on his own. Hmm. Which Brian had also told Mike's brother, Nick, the same story. He said that he felt terrible considering that he had canceled on Brian about 1 a.m. So he had canceled just a few hours before they were scheduled to leave for their trip, for the hunting trip. Another thing that bothered Cheryl was that Denise had said that the trip to the Gibson Inn was a surprise and that she had only learned about it the day before. But Cheryl recalled that they had all talked about it days before and she didn't understand why Denise was saying it was a surprise to her that they were going on this trip. So to me, this is kind of like not a huge discrepancy. It's kind of tomato, tomato. Yeah. Although nobody says tomato. So why is that even a saying? Does anyone say tomato? The petition also claimed that City Life Insurance was the only party with an interest in this petition who could object to the petition being filed. But she didn't think that that was accurate. She knew that Mike had an insurance claim with Cotton States for $500,000 that he had gotten right before the $1 million policy with Kansas City Life. So in the petition, it states that there's only one insurance policy, but Cheryl believes that there's three. 
to me, that's a little more of like um, a red flag, I guess. Don't you think? Yeah. It would also come out that Mike had told a coworker that his wife was still struggling from postpartum depression and that this had caused her to not go back to work full time. And also the couple had been struggling financially and they had agreed that they would not spend more than $50 without consulting each other. But he had recently discovered that she had taken a $3,000 advance on their credit card. And when confronted with this, she told them that she had used the money to buy marijuana. Now, Mike had had two mishaps while hunting with his friend Brian. And one of them, he ended up in a gator sinkhole and one where he fell overboard into the frigid water and caught pneumonia and was sick for weeks. So Mike having accidents out while hunting, maybe not that unusual. I mean, he does like to shoot his gun standing up in his boat. Yeah, kind of dangerous, yeah. Now, on the trip where he had fallen into the water, he had also confided in Brian that his relationship with Denise had been strained and that the couple hadn't had sex since Ansley's birthday, which was more than six months before. Mike was looking forward to 2021 and planned to focus on his daughter and career. He was thinking about going out on his own and had even toyed with the idea of running for local office. It sounded like he was making plans for the following year, which I think discredits a little bit more the theory of him taking off. But he's also, it sounds like his marriage might be a little rockier than suspected. Um, I would say that, you know, there's a healthy amount of doing stuff for your partner and there's an unhealthy amount of doing stuff for your partner. There's usually a reason that you're unhealthily doing a lot of things like waiting at the gas station for your partner to come pump your gas. Right. And things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that, you know, obviously I don't. One, like him coming home to make dinner just to go back to work. Yeah. Too, like things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to say, but it does sound like maybe not the healthiest. So Cheryl's relationship with Denise had become more and more strained since her son went missing. And she started getting limited time with Ansley. Well, there's obviously tension between them because... They disagree on... Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, wait, first of all, on the weed thing, weed didn't get legalized until like 2012. Wow. So later than I even thought, but 2012, 2014, looks like 2012. Um, and that's in Washington and Colorado. That's that. Okay. So um, weed is still illegal. Recreationally, it is illegal in Florida, but the only type of legal marijuana you can have is if you obtain a medical marijuana use authorization. I thought that that was the case for Florida, yeah. Now, on Saturday, August 5 of 2001, an article about Mike would be published at the behest and persistence of Cheryl. And it talked about his disappearance and some theories about what may have happened to him. And it included the he was eaten by alligator theory, but also included like a foul play theory as well. Denise would call Cheryl when she saw this article and her and Nick would go over to see her. And they would discover very quickly that Denise was furious about this article. 
She said that she didn't ever want to see Mike's picture in the paper again and said that if she kept pushing for a criminal investigation, that she was going to lose her granddaughter forever. So Denise wants to move on with her life and Cheryl is refusing to move on. So they are definitely butting heads at this point. So later that month, Cheryl went to see her son's truck for the first time since he went missing. And she was surprised to find out that everything in the truck was wet. Clothes, boots, his shotgun. She bagged everything in hopes that police would be able to use the items in their investigation. That still isn't happening. Yeah, but Denise soon called demanding the clothes and her father showed up for them and it would turn into an ugly confrontation. Yeah. He accused her of being crazy and told her to stay away from his daughter and granddaughter. But he left with the clothes, but Cheryl had kept a second bag of clothes that he was not aware of. Even Denise's dad is like, and remember, he was there every day searching for his son-in-law. So even he is like, hey, crazy Cheryl, you need to like stay out of it. Another thing that would happen is Brian and Kathy Winchester's relationship would soon disintegrate after Mike's disappearance. Their relationship had been rocky for a while, and on September 11, 2001, Kathy would pack up and leave their home. Kathy and Brian would share custody of their son, Stanford, though. So not surprising that by 2003, nothing has happened in Mike's case. Things have also simmered down between... Cheryl and Denise and Denise starts to allow Cheryl more access to her daughter and actually she starts watching her like once a week and Cheryl has started to think that Brian Winchester and Denise might be dating but she keeps it to herself because she's in Denise's good graces now and doesn't want to lose her visitation with her granddaughter. Yes which Makes total sense. And especially if nothing comes of you. Confronting. Yeah, confronting that information. Or like, who knows even if it's like, at this point, she's like, maybe it's just not a... Well, she's obviously still convinced that her son had not just an accidental death. But like, if it was someone else who was catching on to that, like, maybe it's just innocent, you know? They've known each other for a long time. Like, maybe they just started dating after Mike's death and after Mike's death. Which is what Denise will claim. Of course she will. Now, in February of 2004, the FDLE, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, started investigating Mike's disappearance. And this was due to Cheryl's insistence that she believed foul play was involved. And she even sent them 27 pages of typed notes containing information slash evidence that she had acquired over the years. Because remember, she's hired private investigators. She's like tried to do her own investigating, all those things. Mm -hmm. Now, Denise would show up at her house with Brian. So Denise shows up at Cheryl's house with Brian and... She would give Cheryl an ultimatum. The ultimatum was she could stop the investigation or lose Ansley forever. Cheryl said that she couldn't stop it even if she wanted to, which she didn't. And Denise and Brian would leave angry and they would follow through on their threat and she would not 
ever be trusted with Ansley again. Not surprised. Not surprised either. Kansas City Life, who had been one of the carriers of Mike's insurance, um, $1.25 million of life insurance to be exact. Yeah, so they they carried the two policies. The $250,000 policy and the $1 million and policy. And Brian, wasn't Brian the one that helped him set up his life insurance? Yes, he was. Mm. That's what I thought. So they were suspicious or maybe just didn't want to pay out, although they may have reasons to be suspicious. I think one red flag that they had was that on December 27, 11 days after Mike's disappearance, and while the search for him was still in full swing, they received a notice from Marcus Winchester, Brian's dad, saying that Mike had drowned in Lake Seminole. And at this point, they were still searching for him. He had not been declared dead. They weren't even sure that he had drowned at this point. But they're getting contacted by Brian's dad saying that he drowned. That's so weird. Why the fuck is Brian's dad doing anything? So, but remember, Brian works for his dad, who is an insurance adjuster. Still, why is he doing anything? Maybe he felt like it was his responsibility to try to help Denise get the life insurance figured out because it was kind of his department. Yeah, insurance people don't trust anyone who's in insurance. I'm sorry. Seriously. I don't trust you. By January 4, just 19 days after Mike's disappearance, they had received a claim signed by both Brian and Denise, her as the beneficiary and him as a witness. And this was stating that Mike had drowned in Lake Seminole. On January 11, both Brian and his dad, Marcus, met with the representatives from the insurance company. So they're pushing really hard pretty quickly about this life insurance. Mm-hmm. Suspicious. Now, the other company that Mike had gotten a life insurance policy from was from Cotton States. And that was a $500,000 policy. And they would receive a premium check of $398.30 from Denise on April 16, four months after Mike's disappearance, without the company knowing that Mike was even missing. So the rumor was what people believed was going to happen was that Mike had purchased the $500,000 policy, but when he got the $1 million policy, he was going to let the $500,000 policy lapse. He wasn't going to continue it. But four months after he went missing, Denise paid the premium on it to keep it going. Otherwise, it would have lapsed at that point. But Mike had only still been reported missing. He had not been declared dead yet. Honestly, so I only find it find this suspicious on the count of everything else. But I feel like if he was just missing and you thought your husband was going to die and you had an opportunity to get more money... I would probably just crazy. pay the premium yeah, yeah. to get that mm -hmm. money because honestly, you know, if your spouse does die, you, you deserve had, to get that money. You even know? if you had a million and two hundred and fifty thousand dollar policy oh, well, already coming at you, if you're not guilty, you're probably not going to think about it. Honestly, like if if I I feel like if I feel like you wouldn't even I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. There's no. There's no way of knowing what she was thinking when she made that payment. But I feel like if you were really 
really worried and thinking, you know, you're, it's been four months. Your husband's like, first of all, you're probably not even going to think about paying the premium on that. But since her friends are life insurance people, she would get told that. So right. she would probably... Well, especially if she's getting information from Brian. Brian's dad, Marcus, yeah. who's like meddling in all of this as well. So, I mean, that doesn't seem too crazy, but with everything else, that's suspicious. I do think it's suspicious, though, that she did not inform the insurance company that he's even missing at this point. Because maybe she assumed that Marcus did it. Maybe. She doesn't file a claim with Cottonwood until... Cottonwood, Cotton States. She doesn't file a claim with Cotton States until September of 2001 after a judge has signed the presumptive death certificate. And on that claim, she left out that there was also the other two life... Because you have to claim that. You have to inform them if... Like, it's one of the questions. If there's any other life insurance policies. Because it's more suspicious and they tend to investigate more if there's multiple policies. Yeah. But she left the other two policies out when making this claim. Suspicious. Just like she did on the presumptive death uh-huh. form when she said there was only one insurance policy. Now, on December 3 of 2005, almost five years to the day of Mike's disappearance, Brian Winchester and Denise Williams would get married. I don't like that. By now, the investigation was in full swing. And by this point, there were several things that bothered investigators. Because remember, they had already opened a criminal investigation because of Cheryl, you know, and all that. One issue they had was the gun, which was still zipped into its case. So the whole idea that maybe he was standing in the boat or shooting or distracted by hunting, he hadn't even gotten his gun out yet. So that bothered police a little bit, right? The decoys. If he had been hunting, why were they all still in the boat? That's not to say that something couldn't have happened immediately after he got out on the water, though, right? The boat. So if you remember, the boat has a full tank of gas. And the manufacturer of the boat said that if Mike had fallen out of the boat with it running, then it would have continued to run until it ran out of gas. It was like someone turned the switch on but did not start the boat. Suspicious. That's a little suspicious. I don't, I didn't really like that in the first place that the boat was on or the throttle was on, but the boat wasn't running. Another issue that they kept running into was the boat ramp. And that's because the spot where Mike's truck was parked wasn't really a ramp at all. And not a place where Mike would normally put his boat into the water. It especially did not make sense if he was alone, because this would have made it much harder to get his boat into the water, especially when there's a concrete boat ramp just a few hundred feet away that he had used the week before when he was there with his friend hunting. Maybe it was busy, I guess, but that also doesn't make sense. If yeah, he... there was nobody else there, yeah. allegedly. The location of the boat was also suspicious to police who are reinvestigating this. So they thought with the storm that had occurred the night that he went missing, that it should have blown the boat to the eastern shoreline. Yet it was found on the western side behind some stumps with no conceivable way for it to have gotten there due to the weather. Another issue were the items found. So we have the hat two weeks after Mike's disappearance. 
We have the waiters, the jacket, the flashlight six months after Mike's disappearance. What had seemed like proof to the original investigation that Mike had fallen overboard, drowned, and been eaten by alligators all just seemed like staged attempts to mislead to these new investigators. Mm -hmm. So to the original investigators, this seemed like proof of their theories where the new investigators are looking at it and they're like, this is obviously planted. Yeah. Now, when trying to determine a motive for foul play, their attention quickly focused in on Denise and Brian. Big surprise, right? So the two were a romantic couple now. Yeah, and it is five years down the road, but... With all the other evidence, I'm sorry, no. It's a red flag, yes. Alone, not so crazy. All piled together with everything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brian had written the million-dollar policy for Mike. Yep. So in 2004, Kathy Winchester would admit that Brian had no alibi for the day that Mike disappeared. She would say that he was not in bed when she woke up and that she would not account for him until 4 p.m. that day. Right. And I think initially she did not tell investigators that when she woke up in the early morning hours that he wasn't there. So they were actually supposed to go to a family Christmas gathering, but he had showed up there around 4 p.m. Kathy said that Brian had called her dad the night before and arranged to go hunting with him early in the early morning hours. But her dad had waited at their meeting spot for two hours and Brian never showed up. So, lying. Brian and his dad killed Mike. Well, he was supposed to meet up with Kathy's dad, not his dad. So, basically... Why is Kathy's dad even involved in this now? I'm confused. I think, basically, he was trying to set up an alibi for himself, but something went wrong and he didn't make it to their meeting. Like, he was supposed to meet Kathy's dad to go hunting early that morning but for some reason he didn't show up interesting Brian would tell her dad that he had overslept and to this Brian's dad Marcus would actually call Kathy's dad later in the day saying that he heard that Brian had slept in and stood him up to which he said Brian had done to him many times covering their tracks covering the tracks. Kathy also said that she believed Brian and Denise had been having an affair before Mike disappeared. Boom. Fucking knew it. So February of 2004, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement would finally interview Brian. Brian stuck to his story and said that he had never had plans to hunt with Mike. But had planned on hunting with his father-in-law, but had overslept. And he said that he spent the day with his wife and they went to a family Christmas celebration. Which we know isn't true, that he actually didn't materialize until 4 p.m. But investigators, yep, like you said, already Mm -hmm. knew that. And he did admit to being involved with Denise since his divorce in 2003. Yeah, so they didn't become an official couple until like 2005, basically. But he said, oh, yeah, well, we did start seeing each other after my divorce in 2003. You mean you've been having an affair since, like, 1995. Right, basically. They asked him if he would take a polygraph, and he said yes. But they would later get a call from an attorney saying that he would not be taking a polygraph. 
he agreed to that and then he called his attorney and his attorney was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why the fuck would you take a polygraph test? Or he agreed to it and then was like, well, I can't take that because it's going to show that I'm lying and called an attorney and said, you have to call them and tell them I'm not doing it. They also had an eyewitness that said that they saw three men at the lake on the morning that Mike went missing. He picked Brian out of a photo lineup. Yeah. They also found a second witness who said that they had seen a man walking on the road who looked like Brian. What I want to know is where were these witnesses during the initial investigation? Exactly. And I don't know if these witnesses were in the file and they just were looking at it now or if these are new witnesses that came forward. Well, I mean, because initially they bought the whole Mike went there alone. Maybe they weren't even asking for witnesses. Yeah. That might have seen him, even though I feel like they should have been doing that even if he had been there alone. Yeah, I don't know. Now, on December 22 of 2004, Denise would be interviewed with her lawyer, and she stuck to the same story as well. So they are not changing their stories. This is back before the two were married that they were interrogated, but they were in a relationship at that time. But they stuck to their stories. And years would go by with no new information coming to light. Cheryl would continue her campaign to find her son. She would actually picket outside of businesses, outside of places where Brian and Denise might be. She would take ads out in the newspaper. She continued this campaign the whole time, trying to bring attention to her son's case. So by August of 2016, Denise had told Brian that she wanted a divorce and Brian was busy writing a suicide note. Yeah, life had not been good to Brian recently. So his son had moved in full-time with his mom. Denise had kicked him out. He had a porn and drinking and prostitute problem. Yeah. He had decided that he wanted to talk to Denise one more time before he killed himself and... Drove to her house just after 9 a.m. on Friday morning and hid in the back of her car. Because nothing, there's nothing scary and suspicious about that. He would jump out at her while she was driving, pointing a gun at her. Now, I want to say right now, anyone who has ever made fun of me for checking my back seat before I get into my car, I would like an apology. Now, Denise is able to convince Brian to let her go. And she says um, that she will not contact the police and that they should work on things. But after she drops him off at his car, she immediately goes to the police. Um, yeah. Brian would be arrested and charged with kidnapping, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, and armed burglary. I don't know why burglary. I don't know what he stole. I don't understand that one. Maybe just holding the gun to her. I'm not sure. Maybe he stole her kidnapped her is that it's not just kidnapping i don't know denise would testify at his bond hearing where she would beg the judge to keep her estranged husband locked up for her own safety she said he was waiting for me in the back of my car with a gun he grabbed the steering wheel he shoved the gun into my rib cage screaming profanities uncontrollable at me i will never be the same I would never wish this on anyone. I can't sleep. I can't eat because I only see him rising out of the back of my car and because all I can feel is the gun shoved into my ribs. 
I can't have peace because I only hear his voice screaming and cursing at me. Please don't let him out. He could have killed me. Now, during this testimony, Brian is very confused by Denise's statements. She was making him sound crazy, like he was a monster and like his behavior was a lot worse than it was. He said that he was not pointing the gun at her, that he just had it in his lap. He said he never screamed at her, never shouted profanities, and only went there to say goodbye and talk to her before he killed himself. Although he did have a spray bottle containing something and something that looked like a blanket or a tarp with him. Mm, uh, scary. Denise's daughter, Ansley, also wrote a letter to the judge saying, Judge, I'm scared. My mom is scared. He had a gun. He could have killed her. She is all I have. Please don't let him out. He will come for her and then I will have no one. Please. And Brian would be denied bail. So now he has lost his son who went to live with his mom. He's lost his wife and the little girl that he helped raise as well. And he doesn't even get to kill himself now. I know, seriously. I bet he's regretting that choice. On May 4, my birthday, of 2017... May the force be with you. The couple would officially be divorced. Four days later, Ansley would turn 18 and graduate from the same high school that Denise and Mike had met more than 30 years ago. Now, the prosecutor made it clear that they planned to go for life on the aggravated kidnapping charges, but did hint that they would be willing to make a deal if Mike told them what he knew about the disappearance of Mike Williams. Ooh, I bet Denise didn't think about that when she had her husband thrown in jail. Now, Brian found prison very disagreeable, and it would not be long before he would start talking to authorities in order to try to make a deal. Do you want to know what the deal was? Yeah. So the proffer agreement made between Brian and the prosecutor was this. He had to fully and truthfully answer questions regarding the circumstances and his knowledge of the disappearance of Mike Williams. Two, the state would be prohibited from using any of this information against Brian. So Brian could tell them exactly what happened and they couldn't use his testimony against him. They would have to find other evidence if they wanted to prosecute him. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Three, the state would agree to not seek a life sentence on his current charges against his kidnapping charge with Denise. Four, they would not seek any charges on other crimes he had committed. He had also racked up some tampering and obstruction charges in prison when he maybe hinted around to somebody about having witnesses disappear in his, in his case. Dummy. Five, the case against him would be delayed until December or January in order to give police more time to get details on Mike Williams' case. So they're also going to delay his trial for the aggravated kidnapping. That's probably something they needed. And then six, as long as his statements were truthful, they could not use them against him. So again, if they found out he was lying about anything, then they could go after him. State Attorney Jack Campbell would call it 
a deal with the devil. After this, Brian would tell them everything. When Brian's kidnapping charges come about, he is found guilty of them, right? And at his sentencing for the aggravated kidnapping of Denise, she has no idea at this point that Brian has already shared all that he knows about the Michael Williams disappearance. Now, she says at this sentencing that she had PTSD from the incident and that it comes down to my life or his. And I am asking you, please choose mine because she wants him to get life in prison. Brian, however, would get 20 years with time served, making him eligible for parole at the age of 65. Do you want to talk about what Brian says really happened on December 16 of 2000? Sure. This is what really happened on the morning of December 16, 2000. Brian had suggested to Mike that they meet at the gas station on Thompsonville Road and drive caravan style to Lake Seminole so that they could both head to their afternoon plans straight from the lake. Right, because Brian's supposed to be going to his family's thing. Mike is supposed to be going on his anniversary thing. Uh Really, he needs them to drive separate because... He's going to kill him. Yeah. So Mike arrived at the Thompsonville Road gas station just after 4 a.m. and he saw Brian's truck near the McDonald's. He greeted his friend and Brian told him that his cell phone battery had died. He also made sure that Brian had brought his waiters. Which he had. Yeah. So I'm guessing the whole my cell phone battery is dead thing is to avoid any kind of communication. So like while they're driving, like don't bother texting or calling me because I don't have my phone, you know, like that sort of thing. Yeah, honestly. Um, So they were alone on the lake and... Soon Brian said that he thought that there was something wrong with the motor and asked Mike to come take a look. So when Mike got close, Brian jumped up and knocked Mike overboard. He quickly steered the boat away from Mike and anticipated that his waders would quickly fill with water and drag his friend under. Mike began thrashing in the frigid water, trying to desperately free himself from his waders. Brian circled around him in the boat, careful to not get too close enough for him to grab on. Um, Mike was able to get his jacket and waders off and grab onto a stump sticking out of the water and he was yelling for help and Brian circled close but instead of helping Mike he pointed a gun right at Mike's face. Mike wide-eyed and terrified to see his best friend in the world pointing a gun at him. Yeah and Mike screamed in terror as Brian shot him and then he dragged the body back to shore and he would load his friend into the back of his truck and pushed the boat back into the lake. While driving down River Road, he broke apart the shotgun and threw the pieces into the woods. Then he rushed to TJ Maxx, where he was supposed to meet his father-in-law for a hunting trip to be his alibi, but he was long gone and Brian was too late. Right, so all of this had taken longer than he anticipated. Yeah. So his thought was, go to the lake with Mike, kill him, meet my father-in-law for a hunting trip, and then I'll have an alibi for the day. But by the time he got there, he was already gone. And I also believe that Mike is in, like, a dog kennel in the back of his truck. So not just, like, visible in the back of the truck. Okay. Um, 
So while waiting at a light, he spotted a state trooper less than 50 yards from him, and the body of Mike was in the back of his truck. But the trooper paid no attention to Brian. And then he hurried home and snuck into bed while Kathy was still asleep in bed. And then he had gotten up, called his father-in-law from the home phone, explained that he had missed the meetup that morning. Because he had slept in. And nudged Kathy and told her that he had overslept and missed his hunting trip with their father. And was heading out to train some dogs. So basically, she wakes up, he's not there, but then he climbs back into bed, nudges her awake, and says he's going to go train some dogs, but doesn't show back up again until 4 p.m. Okay. So he'd headed back out to the truck and saw that something was leaking at the back, and it was blood. He grabbed the garden hose and sprayed down the driveway, all while hoping no one would see him. Brian then went to Walmart, bought a shovel, a tarp, and a pair of dumbbells. This man. So obviously something went wrong, right? Like, he hadn't intended for it to go down like this. In his mind, Mike was going to fall overboard, he was going to drown, and he was just going to be able to leave. Yeah. But instead, he ended up having to shoot him, and then he can't leave him there. Yeah. Because he obviously didn't drown, so then he had to get him out of the water. He had to load him up. This is how things went wrong. Panic would again hit when Brian ran into Mike Phillips, a friend of his and Mike's, different Mike, I guess, from high school and struck up a conversation with Brian, who also worked with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Yeah. But Brian was able to keep his cool and was soon back at his truck heading to Car Lake. He wrapped Mike in a tarp, dug a spot by a willow tree at the edge of the lake. Digging the hole was much harder than he anticipated. Why do people think it's going to be easy to bury a body? Why does people think it's going to be easy to kill someone? (sighs) Um, To make matters worse, fire ants had begun biting Brian all over his body, and he soon heard another vehicle approaching. Brian quickly ran up the hill towards his truck, and there was an older man getting out and grabbing a rifle. Um, The two make small talk, and Brian tried not to look like a man who was in the process of burying a body of his best friend (laughs) that he had cold-heartedly murdered earlier that morning. The hunter soon moved on in the opposite direction, and Brian rushed back down to finish burying Mike's body. And by now, it is early afternoon, and Brian needs to get back for Kathy's family gathering in order to avoid suspicion which he did not do. Right. Correctly, at least. Can you imagine, though, like, if that hunter had gone in the direction of Mike's body, Brian probably would have had to kill him. Yeah. It would be October 12th, 2017, when police arrived at the shore of Car Lake with Brian to show them the location of Mike's body. It would take six long days before they unearthed Mike's remains. Why? Uh, Apparently, it was really, really murky, and they had a lot of trouble digging in that area. Like, the lake was higher now than it was at the initial time. In other words, he probably never would have been found. Yeah, so on October 30th, 2017, Denise was getting out of her car at work when a man approached her, said his name was Chuck, and he had just gone out of jail, and he had served time with Brian, and he needed to talk to her. She yelled, get away from me, and ran into the building. She called the police, and she told them about the confrontation, and she said the man's name was Chuck and that he had been trying to hand her a piece of paper. A few days later, she would come out of her car to a piece of paper on her windshield and said, Denise, sorry I scared you the other day. I just wanted to talk. I was in jail with Brian, and he told me everything. I need money to get out of Florida and get back to Missouri. He left a phone number and told her not to call the police or he would go to the newspaper. 
So at the bottom of the note, it said innocent people don't leave their cell phones in the car in the park. Hmm. So Denise took the note straight to the police. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Was Denise actually part of it? my god i i started to wonder about this time in my research i'm like maybe denise isn't in on it because why would she, she keep going to the why police? would you keep going to the police exactly okay so well but remember at this point she doesn't know that brian has talked to the police she has no idea that that has gone on so she just thinks that her husband is like quietly sitting in jail serving his practically life sentence nah chuck's trying to get some money from you chuck is blackmailing you denise what denise did not know is that chuck was never in prison with brian and he was actually an undercover cop trying to scare her into thinking that they knew something that happened to mike and that he knew she was involved okay i it didn't work though no so i think they were hoping that she would pay him off yeah or something yeah on December 20th, 2017, Cheryl would be notified that her son's body had been found. And on May 8th, 2018, Denise would be arrested for first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and accessory after the fact in the death of Jerry Michael Williams. Yeah, so Brian had explained to police that him and Denise had conspired for nine months to kill Mike. Denise and Brian had been having an affair for three years when they decided it was time to kill Mike in December of 2000. Oh my God, wait. What was my guess? 95? They were actually having an affair since 98? Yeah, that was a good guess. Denise did not want the stigma of being a divorcee, according to Brian. And they had even talked about killing Kathy as well, but Brian didn't go for that plan. The plan was for Brian to push Mike overboard and he would drown. But obviously that didn't happen. And when Brian had to shoot Mike, he realized he couldn't leave him in the lake full of bullets. So what he did, he did. Mm -hmm. The $1.75 million in life insurance had been planned by the couple. Brian said that the couple started to get concerned when nothing of Mike's had been found and he said that he had planted the hat while out searching one day. The bucket hat, the first thing that was found. Mm -hmm. And when asked if he had planted uh, the other items, the jacket and the waders, he said that he hadn't. And they had actually been in the lake the entire time. Which means that hunting license that you could still read had been in the lake the entire time in his jacket pocket. Which is crazy. And crazy that they didn't find them until right before the life insurance. I mean, it was probably zipped up in a waterproof pocket, no? Maybe, yeah. Most waders have, or most jackets have, like, pockets. Yeah, or, like, it could have been caught in a pocket that had an air bubble in it, so yeah. it wasn't actually sitting in the water for six crazy months. Crazy that those were in the water, though, for six months before no they found were them. found. Just shows you how great everyone is at searching. Right? How many times have we, like, literally dealt with this? Kathy would also testify that Denise had asked her to get a message to Brian after he was arrested for her kidnapping. She said to tell Brian that I didn't say anything to the FDLE. So I didn't say anything to the police. Brian also testified that him and Denise had made an agreement 
that he would never say anything and she would never say anything and no one would ever know what had happened. On September 8th of 2018, a funeral would finally be held for Mike. His poor mother. What's she going to do with her life now that she's not full-time picketing? Relax. Fucking relax for the first time in a decade. And on Friday, December 14th of 2018, two days before the 18th anniversary of Mike's murder, the jury in the trial against Denise would retire to deliberate in this mostly he said, she said trial. The six man and seven woman jury, after a long day of deliberation, would find Denise guilty on all charges. And Denise would be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, throughout this whole time, Denise claims that she had nothing to do with the murder of her husband, which I just do not believe at all. My question, or another question that I have, is was Marcus involved? Or was he just really trying to help Denise with all of this insurance stuff? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Also, I cannot imagine what was going through Mike's mind in the final moments before his best friend shot him in the face. Like, I literally, he's in the middle of the lake. His friend has just pushed him overboard. And he is clinging to a stump and his friend is pointing a gun at him. Like, I cannot even fucking imagine how terrifying and traumatizing that would be. Yeah, no, for sure. Ugh. Also, there's the question of could Ansley be Brian's daughter and not Mike's? I think it's a possibility. They lied once about when the affair started. So right. Who's so gonna who st- knows what they might be lying about? Yeah. That's the thing is I feel like it would be really hard to substantiate at either of them at this point. Yeah. But I tend to think that Denise was involved. But we will talk about that more on our Bunker Talk. Oh, also, we have some new Patreons. All right, we have Crystal Higgins. Hi, Crystal. Welcome to Patreon. We have Alexis. Alexa? Alexia? Alexia? I don't know. That's how I would say it. Hi, Alexia. Welcome to Patreon. I want to say Alexis, but it's not it. <laughs> um, we have Island Chick Finds. Did we already say these? Nope. I'm having deja vu. Uh, you're just having deja vu because you wrote them in. Didn't I say, what do you think they find? Nope. That never happened. Huh, Okay. We also have Karen Cloud. Hi, Karen. Welcome to Patreon. Um, we need someone to substantiate whether or not we said these Patreon names already. Have we said I'm your having, name twice? I'm having deja vu. I think that my mother just thought that when she wrote this into her Excel sheet. I, I'm having deja vu. I don't know. Um, yeah, thank you so much for supporting us. We really appreciate you guys. You're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Tomato. British. I, more that's British so funny. I actually, that's what I thought too. Maybe it's just like a British thing. And then I was like, I don't think I could why say, would it be a British thing? I don't know I don't why think I that. I could say tomato. 
in a British accent. Doesn't sound right. But you can say tomato. Tomato. Yeah. All right. Maybe maybe the British say tomato. I don't know. Tomato. Tomato. I feel like I even when I say tomato, I still go into like a British accent every single time, <laughs> like slightly. So the phrase tomato, tomato came from a George and Ira Jerwish, Jerwin, Jerwin, Gershwin. 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 So it derived from a George and Ira Gershwin song. Let's call the whole thing off. Written for the American film Shall We Dance released in 1937. You like potatoes, I like potatoes. You like tomatoes, I like tomatoes. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Huh. And it is from, like, it is the American-British pronunciation. It is? Okay. Potato and... Tomato. Tomato. So I guess it's not crazy that we heard a British accent when we say it? Tomato. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you're from Britain, do you actually pronounce potato, potato? Are you starting to feel suspicious? So, for sure, Brian and Denise are having an affair, have been having an affair for years. Brian killed Mike, and Kathy either figured it out that they were either having an affair or he killed um, Mike. Either way, um, that's why she left. She couldn't live with it, whatever it was. You are 100% correct. Ding, 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 ding. I knew Brian killed, I knew Brian killed him the second that Cheryl said that Brian was supposed to go with. I'm like, oh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they were definitely having an affair and definitely killed. I bet you Ainsley's not even Mike's kid. I bet you Ainsley is. That has been suggested, actually, but I don't think it's ever been tested. I only unlock my driver door. I never double unlock it where it unlocks all the doors. And I always look in my back seat before I get into my car. It's not crazy. Yeah, the back seat one isn't, that's actually not one of mine. I don't have the back seat. I don't check my back seat. I just always assume that somebody's hiding in my back seat to try to kill me. I mean, I, it seems like yeah, it could happen. It's honestly reasonable, but <laughs> I, I just don't have that one. Um, 